For the last 15 years of my life, every year I have gotten on an airplane at some point in that year and headed to the continent of Africa. And in those 15 years of going to Africa to invest in training national leaders there on that continent, God has moved in my life in unbelievable ways. Some of the most amazing testimonies of God's grace and God's power I have heard from my brothers and sisters in Christ on that continent. One of the stories that deeply impacted my life, literally it marked my life. I heard about five years ago I was there, and it's five or six, seven years ago is the first time I ever met a man who is now one of our strategic partners here by the name of Kuhn Skoltz. And I met Kuhn at our conference there just outside of Johannesburg, South Africa, where we train about six or 700 leaders from about 13 different nations in Southern Africa. Kuhn was telling a story to the large group setting, and I followed up with him afterwards and asked some more questions about the story because I was so intrigued by it. Kuhn at that time was headquartered in the country of Zambia. Now, if you're not familiar with Southern Africa, Zambia is what they call the real Africa. When you meet people from Zambia, they will say, we are from the real Africa. Zambia is the nation where David Livingston, the great missionary, went there at Victoria Falls is where David Livingston had his heart buried Because he said they could bury his body on this side of the ocean, but his heart was in Africa. He had to be buried there. Zambia is where Kuhn headquartered his ministry in a very remote place in Zambia. And he trained national leaders there. And one day he was training them and teaching them in something that we're very passionate about here at Hope. He was teaching them about the subject of the kingdom of God and the big picture that God is at work all over the world. And he invites us to get in on the big picture of what he's doing. He was teaching those principles like we do, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, when you and I hear the uttermost parts of the earth, we're thinking about Zambia, right? But when you're training people in Zambia, they think uttermost is even uttermost. One of the men that was sitting there listening to him teach and train about what God was doing just was broken over the lostness of the world. And he began to think about a country that was very near to his called Tanzania. Tanzania borders Zambia, but you have to cross a lake called Lake Tanganyika up on the northern rim of Zambia. And once you cross that lake, Lake Tanganyika, you get into the country of Tanzania. We have had teams, one of the very first teams we ever sent. I took a small group of guys and we went, you fly Uh, 17 hours from Atlanta to Johannesburg, then you fly three hours from Johannesburg to Lusaka, Zambia, then you get in a car and drive 16 hours from Lusaka, Zambia, all the way up to Mbala, long way from here, and then you get to Lake Tanganyika there. I've seen that lake with my own eyes, and 
This young man was so broken over the lostness of the villages on the northern shore of Lake Tanganyika in Tanzania. Villages that were so remote, you can only access them by boat. And he knew they'd never heard the gospel before. Became overwhelmed with wanting to take the gospel to them. So he went to his church and the church reached out to Kun's organization and said, we want to send him from our small village church in Zambia to the southern shores of Tanzania on Lake Tanganyika and take the gospel to people that have never heard the name of Jesus before. Kun said they started through the process and discovered that just the visas and the passports alone to get him where he needed to be was going to cost them about 600 U.S. dollars. Now in Zambia, they use the kwacha. That's their currency. 600 U.S. dollars is over 3 million kwacha. Their weekly offering in this church when they received their offering was $2.25 a week. Which meant if they saved every penny of every offering for five and a half years, they'd have enough money to send this young man to the shores of Tanzania to take the gospel to people that never heard it before. Kun reported that to the people and thought that would end the conversation. Two weeks later, they contacted Kun back. And said, we have the money. <laughs> he said, what, what do you mean you have the money? You, there's no way you have the money. They said, we have the money. He said, where did you get it from? <laughs> they said, well, we realize many of us have three shirts we only need two. So we all sold the extra. Said we're farmers and we eat three meals a day, but we can live on two. So we took all the extra from our storehouses and we sold it. And as we sit here today in this comfortable surrounding there's a young man going village to village in Tanzania on the shore of Lake Tanganyika taking the gospel to people who have never heard it before amen now as amazing as that story is, it's not uncommon. As a matter of fact, since the beginning of this movement that you and I know as Christianity, this kind of radical generosity has been a common expression through God's people. Wherever you see a mighty move of the grace of God, 
you see a radical demonstration of generosity. I mean, just go back to the opening. If you go back to the very first expression of the gospel in the New Testament in the book of Acts, when the church was born in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it talks about these 3,000 people who were born again into relationship with God on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood and preached the glorious gospel of Jesus. And three verses later, listen what it says, verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all as anyone might have need. I mean, they're only three verses into the gospel. Verse 41, they all got baptized. Verse 44... They're selling everything they have. Wasn't like a period of weeks and months. There was no crown class taught between verse 41 and 44. They'd never heard of Dave Ramsey. The grace of God just shook them. I love what N.A. Dahl said. He said it this way. Giving is a visible sign of invisible grace. Wherever you discover people affected by God's amazing grace, you'll find them responding in radical generosity. Nowhere is this more evident in the Bible and in the text of Scripture that I want to use this weekend and next weekend, this story, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This weekend and next, we are going to look at this story under the heading of a series that's just going to last two weeks called Giving and Getting Life in God's Economy. This radical generosity is so evidenced here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As a matter of fact, when Paul writes 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he opens it. And if it was going to be in our vernacular today, here's the opening line of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, you've got to hear this. He's saying, you're not going to believe what you're about to hear. Look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches in Macedonia. Now, again, it's in good Bible English, but if we were saying it today, he'd say, You got to hear this. We wish to make known to you. No, you got to hear this. I mean, right in the middle of this, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, you're not going to believe what's happening in the churches in Macedonia. So if if you're with me so far, the way Paul's saying it, say amen. Amen. All right? You got to hear this. Look at the person next to you and say, you got to hear this. All right, look what it says. Verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction... 
their abundance of joy and their deep poverty. It almost sounds like this doesn't even go together, right? Great affliction, great joy, deep poverty. What? It overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Now look at verse 4. Begging us with much urging. I didn't hear anybody begging for the offering basket a while ago. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. There's so much in these verses that I wish we had time this morning to unpack. These two chapters are so rich. What a great picture here. And there's so much truth. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to tell you how many points I have this morning because we're just going to go till I, I'm done and we're out of time and I may not get through them all, all right? So I don't, wanna, I don't want you to leave thinking I left something off the table. So I'm not going to tell you. But, but there's several here that, that I want to try to unpack for you this morning. But before I do, you got to understand this story comes from the most unlikely of places. I mean, look what he says about these people. Number one, he says they were in a great ordeal of affliction. That that term affliction there is a word that literally means in the Greek language to press or to squeeze to the point of breaking apart. These were not people living in good times. Life and the circumstances of life was literally crushing them. Much of it, we understand from other places in the Bible, was persecution that they were experiencing because of their faith in the gospel. Because they'd so passionately followed Jesus, many had lost their jobs, many had lost their families, many had lost their relationships, many had lost everything that they had. And life was literally breaking them apart. That's why Paul said... We didn't really expect much out of these folks. Then he says that they were in deep poverty. The word poverty is the Greek word for the word beggar. It means that somebody that that can only survive by begging from others. It is complete helplessness and it's someone that there's nothing they can do to change their situation. And if the word poverty wasn't severe enough, he adds this word deep to it. It'd be like where I grew up, we'd say, hey, these people aren't just financially challenged. They're dirt poor. They're at the bottom. These are not like lower middle class. These are at the bottom. Life is crushing them. Financially, they have nothing. And yet Paul said, oh, yeah, there's one more thing about them. They got joy. What? Yeah, that's what he said. 
And not just joy. He said they have an abundance of joy. The word abundance means something above ordinary. Here's what he said. Man, the situation that they're in is terrible. And yet they got joy better than the average person. And it's out of that context that you see this radical expression of generosity. So what I want to do is draw some realities out of their story that deal with the issue of giving that you and I should pay attention to. All right, so here's the first one. Their giving was a response to God's grace. Their giving was a response to God's grace. Look back at verse 1. He said, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. Now, without getting too technical here, The the tense of that statement is very important. Here's what I mean by that. Paul was not drawing our attention to what this church did. Paul was drawing our attention to what God did through this church. You see that had given, it's in the passive. It's not describing their gift, what they did. It's describing what was done to. Paul says, you are not going to believe what God is doing in the middle of this group of people. It was a response to God's grace. These people were so moved by what God had done in them, they gave in response to the grace of God among them. Very important. Their giving was a response to the grace of God. Now just think about that for a second. Think about your giving. What does it say about your response to grace? Their giving was a response to grace. Now, now that, that tells us and means a couple of things practically to us. Here's the first thing it means to us practically. Giving is worship. Say that out loud with me. Giving is worship. Giving is worship. Worship is not about how loud you sang a few minutes ago. Worship is not about how high your hands were raised. Worship is about my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. That's worship. Let me say it again. I want you to get that. Worship is my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. Now, sometimes it looks like singing loud. Sometimes it looks like hands up. Sometimes it looks like on my face. Sometimes it looks like repentance. Sometimes it looks like generosity. But it's my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. I mean, think about it for just a minute. When is the first moment that any one of us worshipped? Let me tell you when it was. It was at the moment of salvation. 
You see, at the moment of salvation was your first moment of worship. You know why? Because you were overwhelmed by the grace of God. I reached a point in my life where I came and I understood by God's grace that I was a sinner and that I deserved eternal separation from God and that there was nothing I could do to be made right with God. And I came to understand by His grace the glorious forgiveness that is made possible in Christ. And my only response was complete surrender of the control of my life to Jesus Christ. And I was born again into relationship with God. And right then, right there, for the very first time in my life, I worshiped. Worship is my response of surrender to the grace of God in my life. Look at this quote by Warren Wiersbe. Listen to what he says about these people. Their giving was voluntary and spontaneous. It was of grace, not pressure. They gave because they had experienced the grace of God. Grace not only frees us from our sins, but it frees us from ourselves. The grace of God will open your heart and your hand. Giving is worship. That's why Paul in verse 3 says, They gave of their own accord. That phrase, of their own accord, is, is a, a Greek word that's a compound word. It's a word that is the word himself and to choose in English put together. Himself, to choose, put together. Here's what it means. To choose himself. It means to choose by myself. Paul says these people gave not because anybody told them to. They didn't give because they were pressured into it. They, they chose all by themselves. They'd been so overwhelmed by the grace of God. They just surrendered everything in their lives, which included their finances and stewardship. Giving is worship. We don't have a lot of time to kind of break that apart, but... You're going to go to lunch in a little bit, and you're going to sit around the table and talk about, how was worship today? And what you're going to be talking about is somebody's song or my sermon. And... But there's another real important piece that you need to think about if you're going to answer the question, how was worship today? How's worship today? Giving's worship. Second practical reality here is that giving is about the heart, not the pocket. You know, there's something very obvious missing in this passage. I mean, when, when I read for you 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, how many of you knew, hey, he's talking about their offering, something they gave, right? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? You don't have to know any Greek or have any commentaries to know he's talking about an offering they gave. But there's something very obvious missing here. He never tells us how much they gave. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's writing this other church to say, you're not going to believe this. you got to hear this. And he never says how much they gave. But he talks about how they gave it. You see, giving's not about an amount. Giving's not about the pocket. Giving's about the heart. A clear principle of Scripture is that God is not impressed by the amount of our giving. He is pleased by the attitude of our giving. Did you know that there's nobody in the room that can write a check that can impress God? Nobody in the room. You can't impress God. 
Let me prove it to you. God doesn't need our money. Look at Psalm 50. Look at it on the screen. Listen to what God said. For every beast of the forest, mine. Cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field. It's mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine. And all it contains. Tis. We can't impress God with the amount. Isaiah 66 says heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. Wrap your head around that for a second. He's sitting in heaven propping his feet up on earth. What do you get him for Christmas, right? I guess Niagara Falls is like a foot massager. He doesn't need our money. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, (laughs) he doesn't need our money. (laughs) Why are we talking about giving? Let me tell you why. Because giving reflects my heart attitude towards his grace in my life. If you don't believe it, remember what Jesus said? Where your treasure is, there will your what? Heart be awesome. Here's what he's saying. You want to know who you love? Look where you spend and invest your money. You look where you put your resources. That's where your heart is. That's where you love. That's who you love. You see, giving's not for God's benefit. Giving's for our benefit. Shows me my heart. And this is why, let's just be honest. This is why some people get so upset when a preacher talks about money. It's not because he's messing with your pocket. It's because he's messing with your heart. It's a heart issue. That's why in 2 Corinthians, we're going to get there next week, chapter 9, the Bible says this. Paul writes and he says, God loves, read it out loud, God loves a, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say God loves givers or giving. It says God loves a what? Cheerful giver. He's not impressed by your giving. He's impressed by the attitude. He's pleased by the heart. Of giving. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible that expresses this. I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's found in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Now, before I read you this story, <coughs> you've got to get the context. In Mark chapter 12, they're in the synagogue. And in the synagogue, they didn't do the offering like we do. You know how we pass the plates and take an offering that way? In the synagogue, is a little more intense. They had one box at the front called the treasury. And at a point in the service, everybody filed by the treasury and dropped in their offering. That's kind of intense, right? No pressure there. Here's the box. Everybody's walking by, filing by, dropping their offering. And look what it says, verse 41. And he, Jesus, sat down opposite 
the treasury and began observing how people were putting money in the box. Now, you got to catch this, all right? There's a box right here at the front, okay? Jesus comes and sits down by the box. And the text says he's watching people as they put their money in. Imagine, I'm sitting... I mean, what if when we passed the offering, I just walked around with the basket? (laughs) Now, look at the next line. This is classic. Look at it. Look at it. And many rich people were putting in large sums. I guess so with Jesus sitting at the box. Can you imagine the conversation in line? Honey, is that Jesus up there, Bob? That's Jesus. What do you have in your purse? Let me have it. Give me the checkbook. Here, take my watch. It's Jesus by the box. They get up there to the box, and they're smiling. Oh, Jesus, we came prepared to give a big old offering, and they drop it in the box. Jesus doesn't even smile. He doesn't say anything. They just walk by. And they don't know what to think. Verse 42. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Look what happens in verse 43. Calling his disciples to him. All right, let me, let me get, you got to get it. Jesus sitting here, people coming by, rich people see Jesus. They're dumping all kinds. Of, I mean, it's the best offering church ever gotten. They're just dumping stuff in the back, in the box. They're putting every, they're dropping car keys, you know, wagon wheels, whatever they got. They're dropping it in the here comes this, two little, this little woman, reaches into her little bag, pulls out two little copper coins. They roll off her fingers. And the Bible says Jesus goes, Peter, James, John, come here. You got to see this. I'm not making it up. Look at it. Calling his disciples to him. He's still sitting by the box. He says, you guys have got to see what just happened. Now, all these rich people are going, wait a minute. All he wanted was two copper coins. Listen to what he said. Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. It wasn't the amount. It was the heart. So there's principle number one. Giving. Their giving was in response to the grace of God. This little woman had been so moved by the grace of God, she gave everything she had. That didn't amount to nothing, but when he already owned it anyway, it was the heart of surrender that moved the heart of God. To celebrate. Makes you wonder today. In our context of worship. Is Jesus calling anybody over. In response to our surrender. Oh angels come here. You got to see what just happened down there at Hope. Point number two. 
their giving was an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Paul writes and he says, For I testify, in verse 3, he says, I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Personally. This may not be true for you, but personally. Nothing in my life has grown my faith like the principle of giving. I'll never forget, Christy and I had only been married about six months. Christy and I, when we got married, I was 20, she was 19. We'd only known each other 10 months. I know you think, man, what in the world were y'all thinking? Listen, we weren't thinking clear. We weren't. First two years were rough, man. I mean rough. It's a miracle, the grace of God, that we're here today. It's God's grace in our lives. Six months after we were married, we, 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 were, we were 20 and 19. I was a junior in college. We were dirt poor. We were so poor as a young couple. I, I did not, my last year and a half of college, I did not even purchase textbooks. I just went to class, took notes, didn't have the money to buy textbooks. Couldn't afford them. So... That's where we're living. Three months into our marriage, we get pregnant with our first child who's sitting right over here on the front row. Let us in worship a minute ago, Hannah. We're three months in. We got no money. I can't even buy textbooks. We're living on campus in the married student housing, paying $225 a month rent for an apartment that we could literally turn around like this and touch all four walls at the same time. Six months into marriage, my dad comes over, sits down, and says, um, Vance, I really didn't do a, a good enough job of teaching you. He lived it, but he didn't model it. He didn't, he didn't prescriptively teach me the principle of stewardship, giving, budgeting, financing. And he came over <coughs> six months into our marriage and sat down with us, and he laid these principles out, and he taught me the principle that you can... He said, Vance, I'll never forget, he said, he said, Vance, you can live better on 90% than you can live on 100. Now, we didn't have anything, but those words resonated in my heart. Right there, six months into marriage, my wife and I made a decision that we would live out these principles that Paul just described. He really described it in two facets. He said they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. My dad didn't say it that way, but that's exactly what he taught me that day. According to their ability. What does that mean? Let me give you give general principle number one. General principle number one says this. Always a portion. In dependence on him, God's people have always regularly given a portion of what God has given to them. That's according to their ability. Out of what God had given to them, from Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament, God's people always gave a portion. Now, some people start arguing about this being a part of the law. Listen, it started way before the law. Go back to Abraham. Hundreds of years before the law, Abraham gave a tenth of everything he had to the Lord. So did his son Jacob. It just continued on. Into the law, and then after the law, in the New Testament, we see the same pattern, same principle. God's people have always given a portion according to their ability. These people gave out of what God had entrusted them with. Now, they didn't have much, but out of what God gave them according to their ability, they gave. That's what my dad taught me. 
he taught me that we, as a family, should start with 10%. Now, I'm not saying that's where you've got to start. Every person's got to decide for themselves where you need to start, all right? For me, biblically, as I wrestled with it, looked at the Old Testament and the New Testament, read everything I could read about it, 10% was a good starting place for me and my family. That's my personal conviction. you got to develop your own. For us, 10% was a starting place. Out of everything that we had, everything that came in as income, 10% of that belonged to the Lord. And we just started practicing that early on in our married life. And let me tell you what we found out. You can live better on 90% than you can on 100 You see, when you step out in faith, because that's really what it takes. Because let's be honest, the math of that statement doesn't really add up. How do you live better on $100 or $90? Well, no brainer, right? $100. Well, not in God's economy. You say, that doesn't make sense from a math perspective. That's right. It's called faith. But here's the difference. When I trust God with a portion and then I have a problem, guess what? It's not my problem. It's his problem. Because he said, if I'll trust him with this, he'll take care of that. Now, if I don't trust him with this, guess whose problem that is? That's my problem. And he says, all right, son, you're on your own. It's taught all through the scriptures. Always a portion. Second general principle, though, is this. He says, according to their ability, and then he added this. Beyond their ability. General principle number two is sometimes a sacrifice. In dependence on him, God's people have sometimes sacrificed to give beyond their ability. You see, as we walk this journey of faith, when it comes to resources and money and finances and God's economy, it's about trusting God with a portion of what he's given to us. And then as God speaks into our lives and calls us to sacrifice, we respond in the same faith, trusting him. God doesn't always call us to do that, but there are times when he does. For example, I didn't share this when we were going through it because I didn't think it was appropriate at the time. But when we were as a church family, and I'm not sharing this to put myself on a pedestal. I hear my heart. I want you to see this is a principle that my family lives out. We believe this. When we were getting ready to build this facility, we asked every one of us to pray about ways we could give and sacrifice. And I had a, a nice vehicle that was my car. My wife has hers, but this was my, my vehicle. And God put it on my heart that I was supposed to sell that. And with the money that <coughs> it was paid for, the money I brought in off of that, buy something much smaller that I could drive and give all the rest of it away. Give it here. Now, here's what I want you to hear me say. God doesn't always call us to sell our car. But when he does, are we ready to say yes? When God does speak and we have to make sacrifice, are we ready to respond in worship, surrendering to the grace of God in our lives? We're going to talk a little bit next week about some of these principles, kind of following this up. But when you live like that, always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice, listen, you can't outgive God. That's why Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. What a great verse, right? Great verse. When we're living out these principles of always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice, God takes care of us. Takes care of us. 
You see, the reality is, though, we give today often from our surplus. They gave in sacrificial faith. We see what we can afford to give. Their attitude was we can't afford not to give. Let me give you a third principle. Their giving was to share in God's global purpose. Their giving was to share in God's global purpose. Look at verse 4. Begging us with much urging. If we got verse 4, put it back up on the screen. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. There are two very important phrases here. The first one is this begging us with much urging. Here's the the implication of this passage. The implication of this passage is, based on this verse, that Paul saw their situation, great affliction, deep poverty, a lot of joy, but great affliction, deep poverty, and Paul said, hey, you guys get a pass. We're not even going to take the offering here. Y'all don't have anything to give. The implication of the text is that Paul looked at them and said, you guys don't have to participate in the offering. We're not going to pass the plate here. Y'all don't have, listen, we even feel bad talking about it. Y'all are dirt poor. And the text says, they begged him. No, Paul, you cannot. Not give us an opportunity. You cannot overlook. Don't you look at our circumstances. We don't live under our circumstances. Paul, you cannot not allow us to be a part of this. And then look why. He said, they begged us with much urging for the favor of participation. The word favor here is the word privilege. They said, Paul, you cannot rob us of the privilege of participation. The word participation here, it's the Greek word koinonia. You ever heard that word before? We often translate it fellowship, but it literally means to share in the life of another. Their situation was horrible. And Paul said, listen, we're not even going to talk about that. They said, no. Paul, we are begging you to let us have the privilege of sharing in what God's doing beyond our fellowship. Oh, Paul, God's been so good to us. We want to get in on what God's doing somewhere else. How's that resonate? With our heart towards giving. You see, they knew God didn't need their money. But they also understood that giving was an invitation to share in the big picture of what God was doing around the world. So they gave because they wanted to get in on it. Listen. I love giving here at Hope. My family gives generously here at Hope. Nobody is going to rob me of the privilege because I want to get in on what God is doing. Listen, we give to places outside of Hope. Why? Because I want to get in on what God's doing. Let me give you just a, a quick microcosm, all right? In the last 10 to 12 days, 
in the last 10 to 12 days. Let me tell you a few things that have happened. In the last 10 to 12 days, we had about 100, 125 small group leaders that gathered here to be trained by Pastors Tom and Brian in small group leadership, small group development, small group discipleship, so that we could get better at making disciples right here in Las Vegas. How many of you attended that small group leader training? Let me see your hand. Just hold it up for a second. All right, look around you for a second. All right, you can put them down. Now listen, guess what? If you give here, all of us were a part of that. It happened because you gave. People were trained to make disciples in our city more effectively because you gave. Here's what this church understood. I, get to, I mean, I can be there, but I can get in on it by giving. This week, this week, we had a church planter and his wife who's in residence with us visiting Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is a city that is 90% unchurched, one of the most lost cities in America. And they are visiting there, putting boots on the ground, praying through God's call on their lives to go and start a new church in Portland, Oregon. How does that happen? It happened because you gave. You get to be a part of that. This week, this week, Zeke and Lane Tomaselli. How many of you remember Zeke and Lane? You remember the big dude stood up here with his ukulele and would lead us in worship? Zeke Tomaselli, the big kahuna, right? He would stand up here and lead us in worship. God called him. He was saved here, discipled here, called he and his wife to go to Hilo, Hawaii, his hometown that is lost, and plant a church. Last week had their first preview service. Over 80 people showed up to worship God. Listen to me. It happened because you gave. You're in on it. I got a call this week, email. Got an email this week from Pastor Julius. He shared a little bit ago here in our service. He shared about two or three minutes in our service a couple weeks ago. Pastor Julius, when he was here, picked up a set of the Life of a Jesus Follower, DVDs, CDs, devotional guides, small group literature. He's gone back. He's completing right now, taking his whole church through that there in Africa. God is moving. He was just emailing us saying, you're not going to believe what God's doing. God is moving. How did that happen on the continent of Africa? Listen, because you gave. That's just in the last 10 days. 52 weeks a year. God's moving. And they understood that their giving was sharing in the big picture of what God's doing. We got to quit. More people are coming in a minute. I'll just give you this one. You can just write it down. Their giving was considered radical by others. Paul said, we didn't expect this. When you start living this out, there's going to be believers and unbelievers who think you're crazy. Just go and prepare yourself. Some Christian people are going to think you lost your mind when you live like this. But here's the last one. I, I got to close with this. Their giving was a reflection of Jesus. We read chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Skip down to verse 9. Look what it says. For you know the grace... Of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Listen to me. The core of the gospel is generosity. Jesus, who had it all, gave it all up to become a man for us. To live a sinless life and then offer that life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He died there paying the penalty for our sins, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave so that you and I can become rich in him. All that was his now can become ours through the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. So here's what that means. My mentor, Johnny Hunt, taught me you're never more like Jesus than when you're giving. It's the very heartbeat of the gospel. Giving is worship. It's about the heart. It's an act of faith. It's getting in on what God's doing. It's considered radical by others. But listen, it's just who Jesus is. It's just who he is.